Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. From KYW News Radio, the Delaware Valley's news authority, this is Flashpoint. What's igniting debate online and in your community? I'm KYW Community Affairs reporter Cherry Gregg, and we'll run through the big issues of the week that are getting folks hot under the collar. Coming up on this podcast, a man taking on an alleged gunman who opens fire at a Nashville Waffle House. Customers asking questions as two black men are racially profiled at a Center City Starbucks. We're socialized to not intervene, to think it's not our business. How to go from a bystander to a hero. Cop was down. In my mind, I said, we got to help him. I hear pop, pop, pop. As far as I'm concerned, it's a gun. What it takes to intervene. She made headlines when she wrote a message on her naked body and showed it to the world. The fact that I could make my body come alive and express the pain and anger that they couldn't express. The protest by a former Cosby Show actress and her message to the newly convicted serial predator. Hey guys, listen up. When you're done with the show, would you do me a favor? Please provide a review and rate this podcast. And feel free to provide feedback often. We need reviews to push us to the top. Now back to the show. Thanks, all. Welcome back to Flashpoint. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. The focus is the hero effect. And last Sunday's shooting at a Waffle House in Nashville is the perfect example. 29-year-old James Shaw was just a customer when he went toe-to-toe with the alleged gunman, Travis Jeffrey Ryan King, who was partially naked when he used an AR-15 to open fire, killing four people. Shaw's quick action shaved lives. I think um, anybody could have did... Um what I did. And who could forget Anthony Borges, the Parkland teen shot multiple times, shielding his classmates or local heroes like Ivan Ali Miller, who mediated a fight between two teen boys in a video that went viral. Everybody recording the phone, real coward. Why is the media obsessed with heroes? Here's my theory. Most of us fall prey to the bystander effect, a psychological phenomenon when we refuse to help and sometimes even film when others are around. So how do you break that trend and snap into action when you should? With me in the studio to discuss this flashpoint is Lucy Duncan. She's director of Friends Relations at the American Friends Service Committee. She also trains the public on bystander intervention. We also have Ella Best. She is founder of Stop, Don't Shoot, an anti-violence organization based in South Philadelphia. And she was once held a hero for her life-saving intervention. And finally, on the phone, we have Ed Iannucci, a security expert who trains ordinary people on what to do in the case of an active shooter. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Flashpoint. Thanks for having me. First, I want to start with uh, Lucy. Could you provide a definition of bystander intervention and what the intention of it is. Yeah, the intention is given the number of acts of violence, the number of uh, attacks on Muslims, the number of attacks on black folks, trans folks, 
It's um, a way to intervene in the case of those acts on the street, on the train, wherever you are. And so bystander intervention training gives people the tools and the confidence to be ready to intervene when they see something. And intervention means what? It means stopping it. It means standing in its way. It means figuring out a way to distract somebody so they stop doing what they're doing. Sometimes it means standing like literally in the way. But what we do is we really think about you know, all of the ways that you can stand in the, in the way that, that are effective and so that you can not become the target of the person that's attacking. And so I want to then switch to you, Ed. I mean, you train people on how to deal with potential acts of mass violence. Tell me what you tell folks intervention means. Well, intervention is um, having the training, the ability, and the heart follow through. You know, um, the self, uh, the fight-flight mechanism is very, very powerful. I mean, it's up there with, you know, needing to breathe, needing to hydrate, needing to feed. But it could go either way. Some people have it in them and have been through experiences where they could prove that they're able to jump up, get involved, disarm or or take down the perpetrator. Or some people can go through the best training that anyone has to offer. And they never really know if they can implement that training in the situation of a spontaneous act of extreme violence. From what I hear about the fellow at the Waffle House, he didn't have any formal training. Mm. His survival mechanism kicked in. He grabbed the rifle. He saw an opportunity. Apparently, the shooter had a problem reloading or he hesitated and the fellow jumped in. Took him down. And and Ms. Ella, you explain what happened on your block where that instinct kicked in and you jumped into action. I just was... um aware of what happened, that the cop was down. In my mind, I said, we got to help him. So there was a cop who had um, been hit by a perpetrator and was laying in her South Philadelphia block bleeding, Mm -hmm. severely injured. Yes. And you saw him and thought what? I looked out my window and said, my grandkids had knocked on the door and told us what happened. So I looked out and it was a rainy day and I got out and said, we got to help him. And so all the neighbors came out. I was like, Get some um, towels, you know, because he was bleeding profusely. So, you know, we assisted him. Any hesitation? Nope. Just went right to it. And so, you know, Lucy, you over here, you train people because people do hesitate. When is the, t- the time right to jump in? Often um, we're socialized to not intervene, to think it's not our business, all these other things that we're socialized not to do. But the time is right when you say, no, this isn't, this isn't okay. Um, I have a coworker who the day after she did this training, she saw a homeless person getting robbed. And she went and she intervened in that instance. And she said, I used all of the principles. And a lot of it is because people, people don't practice. So we do scenarios. We have people figure out, okay, what would I do in this situation? So that people can trust themselves a little bit more in those situations. I mean, another really great example of this is the Starbucks, the two men who were arrested at Starbucks and the people who filmed that incident and the people who said, no, it's not okay. They're just waiting for their friend and the friend who came in and said, no, this is not okay. All of those things helped enhance the conversation. It didn't stop them from getting arrested, but it made a huge conversation about this isn't okay. And that's one of the reasons why the video went viral, seeing mm-hmm. the people say, what were they doing? They didn't do anything wrong. And, 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 and Ed, these, the situations we're talking about life or death, because if that, Mr. Shaw did not step up and and wrestle that shooter to the ground. More people would have been dead. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what do you tell people? I mean, you're you're training folks to deal with literally life or death. I tell them 
exactly what to do. I even do exercises um, to get them into a mental state. I mean, I do everything I can to pretty much gauge who I'm training and if they'll be able to do it. And you still can't make the determination. It's just like people with random acts of superhuman strength. They see a little kid trapped under a fallen structure and it could be a 110 pound person that'll all of a sudden lift up, you know, a, a 4,000 pound piece of iron or, or a car. So it's not, it's not that you could tell who's going to do it. All you could do is give them the tools, um, do some psychological Mm -hmm. exercises and see if you Mm -hmm. can trip something. But you know, this thing with Starbucks, that's another thing. I mean, I remember a day, I don't know how old anyone on this panel is, but I grew up in a day where if a neighbor saw you too far away from home or saw you getting involved with anything that you shouldn't be involved in, they would smack you in the back of the head, throw you in a car, <laughs> take you home, and then your parents would discipline you. We, we, we have gotten away from each other. We've gotten away from humanity. We've gotten away from compassion. And now you're right. It's mind your own business. Then snitches get stitches. And you're hearing all these acronyms, you know, all these things being said that basically threatens anybody into not uh, responding. And, you know, I commend Miss Ella for what she did. I mean, that was fantastic. There should be more people like her. Uh, Miss Duncan, you are doing a great job as well. I mean, it doesn't always have to warrant a physical response. Uh, stand up for people if you think they're being treated wrong. We're in such an age where yeah. race and socioeconomic and, and the way people dress and how they worship, it, it, it's just all being acted upon as far as resentment, aggression. And it, I never thought I'd see the world this way, but we need yeah. more people like Miss Ella. And I think that, you know, I, I just want to explain to you, and, and, and Miss Ella, you can comment here too, because there's a psychological ph- phenomenon called the bystander effect. And it's where people just psychologically, if there's a group of folks there, you kind of stand to the side waiting for somebody else to do something. Mm-hmm. We've even seen people videotape situations where they could have saved a life, but instead of stepping up, they videotape it. And so, Miss Ellie, you also created Stop, Don't Shoot because Mm -hmm. kids all around you were being shot and killed. Yeah. Some of my um, girlfriends I grew up with as children, some of their kids were murdered. And so you decided, that's another form of intervention. Mm -hmm. Why did you decide to do that? Because I felt like we should be able to take the kids somewhere and let them have fun instead of having to be ducking bullets all the time. So we started out taking them to the playground. Actually, I started out, it was supposed to be um, mothers, fathers, and kids day at the park, but it wound up being me and my girlfriend at the park with them, you know, letting them play basketball, jump rope, playing football, just doing kids' stuff, riding bikes, playing football. You're out there giving them constructive things to do. So I want to give people some tips. Um, I actually went to a bystander intervention training for street harassment. And I have to share this story because I was on South Street. There was a young woman. She looked about 20 years old walking down the street. There were four guys following her. And she turned around. She said, leave me alone. And I said, honey, are you okay? Mm-hmm. Do you need something? Do you need me to do something? Do you need me to call someone? And the guys turned around. They saw me speaking with her. I did not talk to them. And they left. When I tell you my heart was beating out of my chest. I got out of my car to help her. Mm-hmm. It's a shame that we have to have bystander intervention training because there never was a time. I mean, there was mm-hmm. a time when people would just do it on instinct. I mean, I was bullied throughout school. 
uh, and at 14, I decided to take martial arts. And now I own a karate school. And our big push isn't teaching kids karate. I mean, that's just the, the underlying um, activity. It's the self-esteem, mm-hmm. um, the bully prevention, because this, this all falls under the bully category, I would think. I mean, Because when I somebody does acts of up- bias, that is, that's bully. The thing that you said about your, the story that you told about sexual harassment, the thing that you did about letting the person know and following their lead and do you want me to intervene, that's really an important cue. Like you, you want to take the cue from the person that's being harassed. You want as much as you can. You may not be able to talk to them in the moment, but you want to make sure that you have eye contact and they are following what they're doing. So there may be somebody that's actually resisting their attack themselves, and you want to support them in that resistance as they're doing that. So, you know, if there's somebody in a shopping mall who's getting attacked or being, you know, somebody's getting yelled at, like um, one of the scenarios we use is um, a black woman that's in, in a shopping mall being yelled at by a white man, and she's standing up. She's, like, using her cane, and she's yelling back. And so the, the way that bystanders can help her is to support what she's doing. The other thing is to make yourself um, known as a witness. So part of what you're doing is trying to make it non-normative to just let this stuff go by. We have more state violence. We have It's more an atmosphere of things being more okay for people to um, act out of acts of bias all over the place. So you really want to you want to act and let yourself be known as a witness so that people know that there's an alternative to just sitting back and not doing anything. And then you also want to keep your both of you safe while you're doing these things and mm-hmm. make sure that you're prioritizing that. Those are those are the, the real core principles when you're intervening. And Ed, I mean, when you see these shooters, because I think that's the scariest thing when you're seeing what happened in Parkland, you're seeing what happened in the movie theater. I mean, if you hear the gunshots, are there things you you should do to keep yourself safe and stay alive? Absolutely. I even tell the kids. And it's a shame that we even have to do this with the little kids, you know, run, duck, hide, run in zigzag formation. But I I do this little poem with them. I say, when you hear the sound, hit the ground, keep your eyes up, look around, look for the exit, where to go. And don't look around, just go. Now, I also have them lay there, keep their eyes up to watch for the calm footsteps, for instance, because it's always those slow footsteps that are either the shooter, because everybody else is either running or on the ground. Um, Mm. So the calm footsteps are the shooter. And Mm. I also have to tell them what to do. And and this is adults too. You have to talk about what happens when the police get there. Um, Some individuals may be armed. You know, some, some of the civilians might be armed and you have to make sure that you're laying on your stomach, hands out in front of you, and present yourself to the police. And don't make any rash movements. Don't reach for anything. Never, ever pick up the phone and call your parents. Turn your phone. Actually, I would hit it as silent because I don't want it vibrating and I don't want it ringing because in a school, parents are going to start calling their kids right away to see if they're okay. And that could very much get them killed. Mm -hmm. And you know, there's, there's just so many facets to this. Yeah. And I want to ask you, Miss Ella, I mean, are there more heroes in neighborhoods than we're giving credit for? Do you see sure. many more people in your community stepping forward and saving folks? Yes. And tell me about it. Often, you know, when the shootings, people will come out and get the kids and probably take them in their house sometimes. make People make phone calls, you know, to say it's a shooting, see where your kids are, you know, to check on the kids. And why is that important? 
often, you know, you have friends who have sons out there or grandsons. You know, I have grandsons that's out there. You know, sometimes you hear shooting all the time. Is it traumatizing? I mean, this is this is uh, what's what what is happening in South Philadelphia. I mean, I think one year there was every other weekend you were hearing of a shooting and another lost life, children being shot on porches, and you have a lot of people in the neighborhoods who come forward and and save people. Right, we're out there, you know, going door to door, you know, trying to get the kids, you know, trying to get them jobs, keep them off the streets. So we've been successful, you know, with anti-moral unit in the community, doing workshops to get them jobs, keep them off the street. And for the most part, he has gotten a lot of kids jobs. To keep them from keep doing? Keep them off the streets. I have the, you know, the Girl Scouts to keep the girls busy. Had the girls basketball, the boys basketball camp, kickball. You know, we try everything we can to keep the kids off the street. And I just want to say, Miss Ella... Is a little woman. <laughs> She's a little woman, and you and you. People think that your size matters. People think that you know their gender matters. People think that you know I'm not. You know my age. I'm a I'm an older person. I can't really intervene. But what we're finding is none of that is true, mm-hmm. and that we That's do need not. to rewind back mm-hmm. and, and jump in the. No, list. it's really about um, confidence and courage and being willing to take action. Exactly. And, and when and the other thing that's really important is that other when you take action, other feels other people around you mm-hmm. will feel emboldened. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, yeah. I have another option mm-hmm. than just sitting here. Mm-hmm. And so that's a really really important thing. And my dream is that. You know, everyone feels like it's our responsibility to keep each other safe. So everybody feels like they're going to be courageous, especially at this time when there's so much need for people Mm -hmm. to be courageous in in the face of what's happening. Our policymakers aren't doing the things that they need to make us safe. So we need to help each other to stay Mm -hmm. safe in the in the midst of that. And so do you think I mean, Ed, you think about this, the people being passive. Do you think that seeing all of this happen and for you think it's going to make people a little bit braver like they used to be? All I could do is hope, mm-hmm. you know, and what I will say that people need to really start doing other than everything that we've talked about. If you saw the Las Vegas shooting, mm. um, as soon as those shots rang out, people were standing up on bleachers looking to see what it was. People have to stop mm-hmm. thinking, oh, that couldn't possibly be gunfire. Mm-hmm. Oh, that must be fireworks or a car's backfiring. When you hear that sound, hit the ground. Act as if. Uh, uh, listen, I hear a pop. I hear pop, pop, pop. As far as I'm concerned, it's a gun. I mm-hmm. mean, now, I know weapons. I could even tell you what caliber fired for the most part. But at the same time, a regular person, when they hear those pops, in succession they have to react don't deny i mean denial is the worst thing no that's not that not in church no not in school Mm -hmm. yes you heard it now get down and follow your instinct i mean i don't walk into and i teach people not to walk into an establishment you walk in one entrance then look at every exit look at bottleneck areas imagine people trying to get out one door imagine people trying to get through a narrow hallway there are very, very easy tips to follow when, um, when, when something like that hits the fan. I mean, and you notice this is a people, shame. We have to talk about this. And we even had an uptick in Philadelphia and Pennsylvania even on hate crimes. So are there clues that there, say there are th- clues? Really? What are some clues? I mean, we're taught we, we're socialized in such a way that we don't listen 
to our bodies. And so like really being attentive and paying attention to your responses and then really scanning your environment. The other thing is that we distract ourselves. We're on, we're in public spaces and we're on our phones or we're wearing headphones. Like, you know, get, get used to being sort of more awake and alert when you're, when you're out and about Mm -hmm. so that you can be responsive to a situation like this. And I'm really encouraged. I spent all a day, all day Tuesday training 43 people over 70 on how to do bystander intervention. If a group of 70-year-old folks can say, we want to know how to do this and we're willing to you know, go out into the shopping malls and be ready for this, then I think everybody can do it. Because this is Flashpoint, we do have to wrap this up shortly. But my closing question for everybody is, do you think this trend of silence instead of intervening, is this something that will continue? Or do you think more people will decide to make this world a little bit better and step forward and why or why not. We'll go in a round robin and Ed will give you the last word. Miss Ella, what do you think? Um, when you see the people post up the videos, whether it's fights or all kinds of things, it seems like they get a kick out of it. It, it seems funny to them. So I don't f- think that it's going to change. I hope it do. Because when I see them videos on Facebook and Instagram, I don't like it. And what about you, Lucy? I think it's up to us. I mean, I'm hopeful, but I think that there's sort of two trends, like people increasing the the level of violence that's happening to people, and then there are people who are learning how to stand in the way. Mm -hmm. And it's really key that more and more and more people really say, it's up to me to make our communities what they're supposed to be. And I'm really hopeful that that's the choice that, that many more people will make. And Ed, unfortunately, we're seeing more and more mass shootings. Your thoughts? Home needs to change before society changes. Parents need to get back to parenting. I think leaders need to get back to leading. People need to get back to people. And we need to understand that the only person that's going to change this is me. That's the mentality we need to put in our heads. Just becoming better people and more confident people inside rather than have a sheep or the slaughter mentality. Thank you to Lucy Duncan. Thank you to Ella Best. And thank you to Ed Iannucci for talking about this flashpoint in the news. Thanks for having us. She took a stand against a man who used to be called America's dad. This case has been made into a race issue as opposed to a rape issue. One woman's message to the newly convicted Bill Cosby. This is Flashpoint, where we talk about the issues that get everyone hot and bothered. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg, and the name Bill Cosby gets segment of the population hot under the collar. And this week, a jury rendered its verdict in his retrial after 14 hours of deliberations. Bill Cosby has been found guilty on all three counts of aggravated indecent assault. Days prior to the verdict, actress, singer, and dancer Nicole Rochelle, who appeared on four episodes of The Cosby Show, made headlines when she ran topless outside of the Montgomery County Courthouse. As Bill Cosby walked inside, the stunt got her arrested, but no charges were filed. Nicole was kind enough to speak with us from all the way on the other side of the world in Japan. Welcome to Flashpoint. Thank you. You made quite a stir here in Philadelphia. Explain exactly what you did and why you decided to travel here to Pennsylvania to execute this demonstration. This is an international women's movement of female activists that protest topless in order to get the body as a political statement as opposed to a sexual object as often women's bodies are projected. Uh, So we 
take our power back and put the political slogans on our bodies. And I'm a member of this group in France. It's an international group. I planned to be in the United States at the time, and I protested the Cosby trial. This was a man who was a predator of women's bodies. Because this is a radio show, I want you to explain. You had Women's Lives Matter written on your chest, and then you also had some names. Who Whose names were those? I had about 40 or so names of the survivors uh, and victims of Bill Cosby and Women's Lives Matter on the front, Cosby uh, rapist on the back, and the name Femen, which is F-E-M-E-N, the name of the group. So many of the, the victims' names were all around my body. And the main point of the Women Lives, Women's Lives Matter uh, slogan on the front was to call attention to the fact that this case has been sort of misused and and confused in a very purposeful way with the issue of race. This case has been made into a race issue as opposed to a rape issue. And what we wanted to say with my group Feeman was these women's lives matter. And this issue of, of putting in Cosby as the supposed victim is not what's going on here. Was it your intention to speak for those women in a way? Symbolically speaking, I wanted to like speak for them and also express for them a sort of anger and pain that that it seemed they were not able to express. These women described being drugged and in and out of consciousness. So the fact that I could make my body come alive and express the pain and anger that they couldn't express in those moments of of get going in and out of consciousness and, and knowing that someone was violating their body, that was what I wanted to express. Was it worth it? Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, oh, definitely worth it. It touched the people that it needed to touch. And for Femen and for me, the most important thing was that these victims, these 62 women and the 37% of women that are documented to not come forward and any other women in, in, in sexual assault cases that are silenced and disempowered, this was to stand with them in that cold weather to just, you know, show the body that was abused, to show that, to, to be that body and to put it in his face and to put it in, in the face of the media and say, this is what we're talking about here. Bodies being abused. Consequences should happen for that. And it's not okay. The victims reached out to you. How did that make you feel to know that they, they saw this? Because this was national, international news. A few of these victims, you know, came out and contacted me and, and said that they were crying with gratitude and that they really appreciated it. That meant everything to me. For for months now, knowing the situation, I felt their pain. And in preparing for the action, I wanted to relate to that, you know, in an empathetic way. What did you have to do to prepare your mind and to sort of get ready to do this and in front of a crowd like that? I had done it before with my group in France. Mm-hmm. So I kind of had an idea of how it would go down. So I said, OK, I know I just have to do it. You know, when, when the time comes and, and, and I see Cosby, you know, walking up the ramp. The most important thing is to get the message out there. Some of the reports said I attacked him at first and it was like, no, not at all. I didn't run towards him. I actually was trying to get the message seen by the media first, but I wanted him to be close enough to hear the message. I wanted Cosby to feel uncomfortable. Do you think, I mean, I looked at his face on the video. Uh, It Mm -hmm. seemed like he heard the message. He was looking forward. I don't know if he saw you. Do you think he knew at that moment who you were? Um, oh, no, I don't think he remember he remembered me at all at the time. But then afterward, probably he was briefed and oh, OK, one one person that was a friend of Rudy or whatever. And so have you been following the case? Yes, I have been. Have you I mean, this is the second trial. Have you thought about I mean, because last time it was a hung jury to men to predators that there are consequences to be had at some point. For this, And that's the time period we're in now with with the Me Too, is that finally people are looking at consequences and people are starting to hopefully be more aware 
of how we should treat each other. And so I got to ask you, because some people say this was only a publicity stunt. You know, you're a former, you know, Cosby kid, you know, on the show and you just did this for whatever reason. What do you say to those folks? I find it interesting to be so cynical in life. How is it so impossible to believe that somebody could actually care about another person, about another person suffering in pain? To me, that's just humanity. That's being human. It's being a woman. And and on another note, I don't need that publicity because I've been in the spotlight. I've been an actress and a singer and a dancer all my life since the age of seven. I started out on a TV show with Ringo Starr. Like I had I had attention. The reasoning is that I need it again, but I already have it in Europe now. So what, and I live in Europe, so I don't really need to come back and jump in front of a camera naked in order to get attention. I was singing shows in a jazz concert the entire time I was in the States. So yeah. I don't really need to the attention of people insulting me and saying that I'm an opportunist. You sing, you dance, you're an actress, uh, you live in Europe. Are you enjoying it? You know, people often ask me, why aren't you in New York? It's crazy. Why do you, why would you possibly want to leave New York? I left New York actually to play a, a, a topless activist from back in the day called Josephine Baker. She was my, my idol since I was about 12 years old and I had studied French uh, from the age of 11 so I got the role to play Josephine Baker in 2006, and that's why I originally left to do a tour in Europe for four years. But afterwards, I stayed in Europe as an artist. My answer to the question of staying in Europe is health insurance is great. <laughs> Over there, it really is working it. And then number two, it, did there, it just opened so many possibilities to be able to travel and work in many different countries. I'm often popping over to Ukraine or Austria or Germany or right now Japan, and I do shows and I and I meet people and I get to speak different languages. So. It, it is a, a pretty good life when you, when you consider that. What are you hoping that others do? Do you think this <laughs> method of European protest where women or are topless in order to reclaim the, the bodies of women who have been victimized, do you think this is something that will catch on? You know, I don't think it's a it's a method for everyone. <laughs> I believe it works well for the group that I'm in, for FEMA. They get a lot of issues out there and get the issues talked about. And that's the, the main point. I guess what I hope will happen is that more people will talk about the reason why w- women's bodies are so, number one, victimized. And number two, why are they so shamed? Why should I be ashamed to have to have been topless? Why, why is that something to be ashamed of? And a man can be topless as I saw the next day playing uh, basketball in New York. Why is that not strange? And then eventually we need to change the statute of limitations. I mean, th- this is part of the goal as well. Yeah. And my last question to you is, what message do you want from Mr. Cosby? I mean, if he were to happen to stumble on this show and hear it, wh- what would you want to tell him? It would be great if he could um, face, face the truth and just come out and apologize what he did. Admit it for the respect of humanity and those women and what they've been through. Just own up to it and then move on from there. Well, with that, I want to say to Nicole Rochelle, actress, singer, dancer and activist. Thank you for coming on Flashpoint and talking about this issue in the news. We really appreciate you. Thank you so much, Sherry Gray. Next up, it's National Small Business Week. First thing you need to think about is what you want and why you want it. A Philadelphia woman's top tips for making your business boom. This is Flashpoint, and I'm Cherry Gregg. We here at KYW are all about community. From April 29th to May 5th, outstanding entrepreneurs and small business owners from all across the country will be celebrated. Philadelphia will celebrate this amazing week for the second time. With me in the studio to discuss this amazing week for small businesses is Melinda Emerson, a.k.a. the Small Biz Lady. She is an author, she's a coach, and a business owner. For what, 20 years, you said? Yeah, yeah. I started 
when I was 12 in front of my mother's house with a lemonade stand. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming in. So what? tell us about the Small Business Week. Why is it important? Well, every year, the Small Business Administration uses a week in the spring to really highlight America's small businesses, which is really the backbone of our American economy. You know, it is small businesses that create jobs. Yeah, because we saw an amazing boost in small businesses during the recession when a lot of people got laid off. They had to start their own business. And that's where you come in. They have a skill. They have a thing they love to do. And they have no idea how to turn that into a business. Absolutely. There's a big difference between making great cakes and running a bakery. And mm. so what I do as the small biz lady on my blog and all the content that I develop on succeedisyourownboss.com is really help people learn the nuts and bolts of how to start, but more importantly, how to stay in business. That's what mm. I'm about. And how to expand. Yes, definitely how to expand. What are some of the biggest issues you see with people try to make it legit? Well, the thing is, is that if you want to start a business, there's some things you need to think about. The first thing you need to think about is what you want and why you want it. It's really about that life plan first. The next thing you got to think about is how you're going to pay for it. Because the money to start your business is going to come from your right or your left pocket. Mm -hmm. Right. Banks do not loan money to start a businesses. So you got to figure out. That's like a figment of people's imagination. It really is. Nobody's going to give you money to become a millionaire. It's just not going to happen. So you really have to figure out, do you have savings? Do you have good credit? Because you are your business's credit when you first start out. Mm -hmm. You know, so where are you going to get these assets from to grow this enterprise? And the third thing you've got to think about is what skills do you have versus what skills do you need to run your particular business? You might need to go work part time in a business like the one you want to start so that you can really get clear about what the grind is. And then the fourth thing you got to figure out is who your niche target customer is. If everybody can use your product or service, no one will. You have to be super crystal clear about who you are chasing for business and frankly, the value that you're going to create for them. And then the fifth thing you got to do, you got to write a plan. Now, do you need a 40 page manifesto? No. Do you need 10 good pages that are going to describe how your business runs? Yes, you do. So there's lots of free business plan software on the internet, but just take the time to write down how you're going to get leads. Who's going to follow up on those leads? What happens after the sale happens? Who owns the relationship? How are you following up with customers? How are you asking them for reviews? I mean, there's so many things in the chain of how your business operates that you really need to sit down and think through. And then the last step, if you're thinking really about starting a business, is start as a side hustler first. Don't quit your job to start your business. (laughs) Yeah, no, no, no. I want you to do it with your evenings and your weekends until it's actually making money. It takes 12 to 18 months for the average business to break even, let alone get to the point where it's throwing off enough money to replace your corporate salary. Keep them paychecks rolling as long as you can. Unless, of course, you're starting a business that directly competes with your day gig. That's not going to work. You do need to quit your job then. But most of you are not starting those kind of businesses. So you need to do both till it hurts. Tell it hurts. And let's back up a little bit. Tell folks a little bit about you. Yeah, well, you know, I started my first business in 1999. It was a video production company after being a television producer here in Philadelphia. And then, you know, it took off from there. And then in 2005, I got put on Better Ass with my son Mm. for like six months. It was before Wi-Fi, right? So you weren't able to just sit at home from your laptop and work. I was just at home. 
And what I started doing was just writing down all the expensive lessons I learned in my business. And the next thing you know, a year and a half later, I turned it into my best-selling book, Become Your Own Boss in 12 Months. And now you got a new book. Yes. Now I wrote a book specifically for existing business owners. If you started a business and your business is stressing you out, I wrote the book for you. It's called Fix Your Business. So give people three things that you see that people are doing wrong that fix your business would help them fix. Listen, People's fear of math is the reason why they don't know what's going on with the finances in their business. You need to know by the 15th of the month how well your business did last month. And you have to stay on top of your cash. And you got to make sure you know how much profit is in every sale. But the second thing I see a lot of people doing is making bad hiring decisions. You know, too often we wait until we're up to our ears and alligators to hire somebody. And then we hire them and throw them the keys and say, good luck. But we're not making sure they know what we need them to do. We're not onboarding them in a way that allows them that sets them up for success. And that's what we have to do more as business owners. And I would say the next thing I want people to think about is productivity. It doesn't make sense for you to do things that you should be outsourcing so that you can focus on your most high value activities. The other thing you want to make sure you're doing is, is there an app? Is there some software that could help you do something faster that can help you automate your marketing? And the other thing about productivity is, are you taking credit cards? Are you taking digital payments and really even considering going cash free because you're five times more likely to be robbed by an employee than somebody with a gun coming into your business? I just want to teach people all of the good things that I have learned over the years. Amazing. So tell people where they can find you. Well, I am the small biz lady everywhere online on Facebook and on Twitter. And if you're interested in grabbing a copy of Fix Your Business, all you got to do is go on over to Amazon. That's where they're selling them. Just head on over to FixYourBusiness.com and you'll learn all about the information that I share with entrepreneurs. Well, I want to say thank you so much to Melinda Emerson. I got to meet you at the National Coalition of 100 Black Women event. You were amazing and we got to bond there. So I'm so glad that you could come on to Flashpoint and talk about National Small Business Week and get people pumped up. Get your business together. Thank you for having me. That's it for the Flashpoint Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this exclusive content. Follow KYW News Radio on Twitter and let us know what you think by using the hashtag Flashpoint. You can also follow me at Cherry Gregg. You can subscribe to the show by using the radio.com app or logging on to KYWnewsradio.com. If there's an issue that makes you hot under the collar, let us know and we'll walk you through the flames. As President Barack Obama once said, it's that fundamental belief. I am my brother's keeper. I am my sister's keeper that makes this country work. It's what allows us to pursue our individual dreams and yet still come together as one American family. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. Until next week, thanks for listening.